that would be given to you so that you could wash the dust of the road off your feet. And then there would be some scented oils that would be given to you that you could put on, the, on your skin to take off the, the damage that the heat and the wind had done and, and, and the scent could maybe take away some of the, the odors that you'd picked up in travel. And so it had to be scented oil. Um, then, then there was an expectation that you would sit down at a lavish table. It was expected, it was thought, that you would come and there would be at least three main dishes that were served. So you didn't just put a Costco chicken on the table. You had some lamb and maybe some beef somewhere. Just in case your guest had some specific needs. Now, husbands, quit elbowing your wife. If you want that, then you have to do what that household did and hire some household help to help her out there. Not only was there three main dishes, but there would be quite a few side dishes to choose from and, 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 and just a wealth of generosity. In front of every dish would be a, a fruit plate that would be piled high with the freshest, best fruit ever. Then there was also the expectation that, uh, boy, it got awfully dark in here. <laughs> there was the expectation that there would be community and that there would be companionship. Travel could be a lonely adventure, and there was an expectation that you would sit and visit with your guests, that you would relate the news of the, the world that you knew. They might have been isolated from any information, and so you would let them know that, and, and you would treat the stranger as though they were family. Everything you had became a gift to them. Everything they needed, if you had the ability to give, then you would give them that. And then, of course, you would give them a place, a, a, a private place to both relax and rest for as long as they needed. All of that is important. As I bring you to the table of communion this morning, as I take you to the Last Supper in Luke chapter 22, it is also important to understand so that you have this picture as to where you fit at the table that God has spread this morning in front of you. Passover was an eight-day celebration. It began with seven-day festival of unleavened bread, and the festival was, was the retelling of the story of how Israel was delivered by God out of Egypt. And, and so the first major thing that they did was they would go through their house and they would remove all the yeast, all of the, the leaven in the house. Yeast represented sin, represented a, a, a corruption, and so you, you went through the house and you removed it all because a little yeast, if it, if it touched it, the, the dough, it, in, it infected, it affected everything in the dough, and the same was true with sin, and, and God wanted that picture to be in their minds as they prepared for the celebration of Passover, and so they would clean it all out, and then they would, they would break or they, would, they would make bread, a, li a little yeast, uh, a, a, a no yeast in, the, in, this, in this bread. 
And, and it would be the first day of the Jewish New Year. A brand new beginning, a brand new year, and on that first day and on the seventh day, there was to be a coming together of community. Everyone came together and, and joining people together to celebrate. No work was to be done other than the preparation of bread without yeast for seven days. And on the eighth day of the Passover celebration, the lamb was to be brought, roasted, served, and eaten. So, so this ancient festival, this religious observance now has, has new meaning, has new significance. The old story was of how a family would bring a, a, a perfect lamb to the place of worship once a year, have the priest slaughter the lamb and offer it as an offering for the family's sins for that year. And uh, in the beginning, it meant that that Moses instructed them to find a perfect lamb and take it and take the blood and paint it over the doorposts of the house so that when the death angel came, the death angel would pass over that house and not touch it, not touch the firstborn. That took on more meaning when John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, hey, everyone, look, look at this one who comes to me now. Look at him. He's the, the lamb that God has sent. He's the lamb that will take the sin of the world away. He's the one who will cleanse my sins, your sins, our sins. During this Passover that Jesus was getting ready for, there was horrible and sinister forces at work. Satan had influenced Judas to go to the spiritual or to the to the religious hierarchy and and accept money in exchange for betraying Jesus and handing him over to the Jewish authorities the, the, the Jewish authorities early in chapter 22 are quite concerned they're they're worried even afraid about what people might say if they do away with Jesus. They knew he had to go. They knew they wanted to eliminate his voice and his influence. And so they had many plots and, and, and thoughts about getting rid of him. But they were worried and concerned how this might affect the festival goers who would come for Passover. However, they saw Judas, someone on the inside. And they offered him money to help them capture him. And with all that tension, with all that worry, with all that concern, Jesus is not distracted, but, but goes ahead according to the plan, according to the purposes of God, and instructs two of his followers, Peter and John, to go and prepare the Passover meal so that, as he said, we can eat it together. It will be a significant time. It will be a historic time. It, it will be a Passover like no other. And it will be a meal that will be a picture of what God thinks of mankind and how God treats people. So no matter what else is going on in the world, no matter what's going on in your world right now, relationship is gathering in community, coming together is always a priority in the heart and in the agenda of God. Paul writes, listen, as the days get more and more wicked, as the days become darker and darker, please make sure that you don't fail to come together. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. It, relationship gathering is important to God. The men asked Jesus, 
Where is it that you want this Passover meal prepared? Ingredients have to be gathered. Lamb needs to be roasted. A, a location needs to be secured and prepared. This is, this is an itinerant group who, whose life is on the road. They have no official home base. They have no place that they call their home or an address that they belong to. So the question is legitimate. Okay, you want us to set up for Passover, but, but where do we do that? Jesus has a detailed answer. He says, listen, I, I want you to go from where we are now, and as you get to the city, as you go through the gate, you'll see an unusual thing. You, you'll see a man who is carrying water. In the day that Jesus is, is living, the, the, the women went to the well, and they got the water, but men look for a man, an unusual sight, a man carrying water. And when you find him, follow him, and at the house that he answers, Enter, say to that man who is the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat Passover meal with my disciples? And when you ask him that, he won't, he won't contradict you. He won't look at you like you don't know what you're saying. He'll say, I have an upper room. And he'll take you there to a large room that's already set up. That's the place where you will prepare the meal. And so the two men went off to the city and they found everything just as Jesus had said it would be. And, and there, the Passover meal was prepared. It, it wasn't home. It, it wasn't a sacred space, a, a, a church building or a meaningful location. It was a guest room. It was rented or borrowed from a man that Peter and John didn't even know. The place is not ever significant. When we come together, when, when we meet together, when we meet with God, the place doesn't really matter. It's lovely that we have our own facility and later this afternoon we'll, we'll go and we'll have our second service at, at a location in, a, in an elementary school and it's, it's a lovely building but it's not church but it, the location doesn't matter. As long as we're together and as long as God is there wasn't home. It was just a location. The table can be set up in your home. It can be set up in a hospital. It can be in a church service. Location just doesn't matter. The focus is coming together under the hospitality of heaven, to be together, to be surrounded by the promise and the presence of God. And that's what we're coming into today. The other thing that I want you to see is that our gathering together, there's an expectation of prophetic insight. That, that as we come together, there will be an understanding that the next steps are known maybe in, by, only by God. That, that the places we're headed, the people that needed, need to be met, the, the circumstances that need to be prepared are known by God and He will direct us. Just as He did Peter and John. Don't forget the words of Scripture. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not onto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct the places you go, your paths. Verse 14 says, When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down at the table. And Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. 
For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I, I love these verses. I, I, I've been most of my life intrigued by the timing of God. I was about 17 years old when I discovered Galatians 4 says that at the perfect moment in history, God sent his son. When, when the stage was set, he, he sent his son. And, and when I discovered that verse, I started to understand that nothing in my life, nothing in my circumstances were ever an accident, were ever a coincidence, that there was a divine plan and that I was part of it. And in the midst of what would be one of the most difficult, pressurized weeks of all history, a time came, a moment arrived, and Jesus took advantage of the moment to have his disciples sit down together at a table of fellowship. There's nothing like it. There's no place better. The table is not only where food is consumed, but the table is where stories are told and feelings are shared and plans are made and life is understood and discussed and celebrations occur and love is expressed and problems solved and mysteries revealed and secrets are shared. And at this time and at this table, Jesus says something very important, very significant. He looks at each one of his followers and he says, I have been eager to eat this Passover meal together with you. There's, there's something important that will happen here that is significant. I want you to see, maybe not understand at this moment, but see something that will alter perspective eventually. My suffering is just moments away, but I want to say, I want to show you some things that will be guideposts to you in the hours, in the days, in the weeks that are ahead. The first thing that I want to share, he says, is that I will not be taking this meal again until a future moment, until the significance of this time is fulfilled at a future time in God's kingdom. You won't grasp the meaning of that phrase now, but tuck it away. Tuck it away for future reference. I want you to know that as we come to this table this morning... Things will happen that we won't always understand or comprehend, but things will have significance. There will be a word that's spoken. There will be a prayer that's prayed. There will be an understanding that comes. Tuck it away. Do not forget what you hear. Do not lose what you feel. Do not misplace what you see. It will become meaningful in the course of time. Come with expectation that God will speak. Come with the understanding that Jesus is eager to be together with you here now. Come with the understanding that he has created this moment of time before you move into a new week, into a new season, so that you can be with him at the table, the table where things will happen, where he will speak, where he will show you his way. The, the meal begins and and in the Passover meal, there are some customs, there are some protocols that are followed during that meal, procedures that have been practiced since the days of Moses, protocols that have been observed for hundreds of years. Don't worry, it's just grape juice. <laughs> Unless there's been another miracle. <laughs> Debbie would be quite concerned if there was wine and I'm on a lifted up platform that I could go over the edge. But 
to the best of my understanding, it's Welch's the best in the house, okay? So the meal begins. At, at, a, at a point in the meal, Jesus takes a cup of wine and he, he lifts it up and he thanks God for all that God has done to bring history, to bring community, to bring family to this moment in time because it's an important moment, both in his supper as well as our time together today. He lifts up the cup and he gives thanks. And then says this, take this wine, sip it yourself and share it among yourselves. It has a meaning that you do not see now, but it's important. I will not drink wine. I will not drink the fruit of the vine again until that fulfillment of this feast at a future time in the kingdom of God. But as a family, as brothers who will be united in mission, united in heart, share this cup together. And the room goes silent as each one takes a sip and then passes it on. When the cup has made its way around the room, he then takes the bread that has no yeast. It has the consistency, it has the feel of a, of a large cracker. And he takes the bread and he gives thanks for it. And again he breaks it. He crushes the cracker like bread in pieces and, and gives a portion of that to each disciple. And he says, this is a prophetic act. It's an understanding for you. My body is about to be broken. It will fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah who, who said that the Messiah would be wounded for our transgressions, would be bruised for our iniquity, that the chastisement of our peace would be upon him and that by his stripes we will be healed. And he said, my body is about to be broken. Again, they're, they're not understanding it, but he's just giving them information for them to tuck away and to review it when they have a chance a little later on. He goes on to explain, my body won't be broken by angry men who will have war, won a war of wills, but I want you to understand the value that you have to me. Everything that you ever need is found in me. I make everything that you need available to you by the glad surrender that I make in just a few hours when I willingly and purposefully lay down my body to be broken so that you may enjoy the benefits. You, you, and I, if I had the time, I would just go and call you each by name and go up and down rows. You are the focus of my love. You are the reason that I'm doing this. You are the reason that I gladly surrender my body, I come, he says, that you might have life. And then there's that beautiful, wonderful phrase that is so packed with meaning. He says, take this and do it often in remembrance of, of who I am and in remembrance of what I've done. You see, no one understands the grind of our life. And what that grind takes out of us, no one understands like Jesus understands. Hebrews tells us that, that in the grind, we must cling in faith to all that we know to be true. 
For we have this magnificent king priest whose name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with our frailty. He understands our humanity, for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just like you are, just like I am. And yet he's conquered sin. So now he invites us to come freely and boldly to, to the place where love is enthroned, to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in this, our time of weakness. You see, no one understands the tricks and the evil devices of an angry enemy who will attack your faith, will undermine your value and lie to you about your place at this table. Like Jesus. No one understands like he does. And, and he comes and he says, come to this place often and be reminded of his significance and of its importance. Be reminded of these words. You are so valuable to me that I willingly give my body to be broken for you. That's how important you are. Fight each lie, he says. Each attack with the truth of this amazing, gracious, mercy-filled love. I have been eager to get together with you right now. I have thought about it. I've longed to be with you today, says Jesus, to you here today. Not just to those who are gathered at that table, but to you who are here today. There were four small glasses of wine set at each plate during a Passover meal. They were filled with wine, and this was the final cup. And Jesus adds meaning to the cup, personal meaning. It says that at the conclusion of the meal, he takes this final cup of wine and says, this cup is a brand new covenant between God and you, his people. It's it's an agreement that is sealed and confirmed and guaranteed with my lifeblood that is poured out as a sacrifice for you. It has always been God's desire that we would be connected with him. But way back in the Garden of Eden, sin came. Sin interrupted that connection. And, and made it impossible. And Hebrews tells us that without the spilling of blood by an innocent lamb, there can be no forgiveness. There can be no taking away the obstacle of sin that takes us and keeps us apart from the connection and the relationship of God. In, in that day, it was a lamb that was brought by a family and slaughtered by a priest once a year so that the family could be forgiven for their sins. But now this sinless Lamb of God, in one act of sacrifice, will wipe away the sins of all the world for all time and make relationship with God possible for everyone. Just because his body is broken and his blood is spilled. Again, the enemy comes and He will attack that understanding in your heart and in your mind so that you will not find freedom from the the tyranny of his dark rule. Jesus says, I am entering into an agreement 
Heaven is agreeing with you, a covenant that cannot be violated by anyone. And it's made into certainty by my sacrificing my blood, my lifeblood for you. He's speaking to all of history, to all people, in all places. But he's also speaking to you personally. He's speaking to me individually here today with truth. He's saying this, you belong to me. You belong to me. You will never be at peace. You will never find contentment and purpose until you're in a relationship with me. And I have done everything that I can to make that relationship possible, even to the point of giving my life for you because I find you so valuable. And as you rehearse that in your own mind, it's just so amazing. When you think of all of the the reasons that he has not to love us, to reject us, to push us away, but instead he comes running at us and says, you're so valuable to me. This this next part is so crucial, and I I want you to hear the intent of the understanding it brings. You see, we think of the communion table as a refuge for friends and almost exclusively for family. However, listen to the voice of Jesus. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man that's about to betray us. You know, nothing stings more, nothing injures more deeply, causes more pain than betrayal. At this crucial night of gathering and sharing life, Jesus reveals that there's someone who's come and sits among them as a friend. But as it says earlier in the chapter, he had already entered into an agreement and an alliance with Satan. And this individual who's been trusted and who's been treated like family has already betrayed me for money. God himself has ordained a time, a place for me to die, Jesus says. It's always been a part of the plan, but one of our number has gone out to help and to aid the powers of darkness in betrayal. He he has of his own will decided to go against me for money. My love is not removed from this individual, but but his choices will take him to places of sorrow that he can't imagine or at this moment even begin to understand. Judas was so well embedded in the group that no one knew who it was that Jesus was talking about. They looked at each other. They were mystified that one of their number who had seen and experienced all that they had been through together and now would turn and betray their Lord and leader. It, it was unbelievable, and they didn't know who it was. It's also an interesting note that while Judas would betray Jesus and then in just a few hours regret his actions and take his own life, there's not one solid, dedicated, loyal man around that table. Peter would be accused of knowing, of being connected with Jesus. He would swear, he would cuss, he would say, no, I know nothing of him. And he'd do that three times before the sun rises the next morning. 
Not one of the 12 would remain by the side of Jesus when he needed them the most. When, when Jesus would be arrested in just a, a, a few hours, they, they would all flee. They would run to save their own skin. Despite the definition that Jesus gave of love, that no one loves more than the one who lays down his life to save another, no one there would love Jesus that deeply. No one would be loyal enough to him to deserve to be at that table. You see, this table of communion is a table of hope for everyone. It, it, it's a table that is opened to everyone. No matter where you are right now, no matter what you've done. There are some churches that have strict policy on giving communion only to members who are in good standing. And they have their reasons for that and I respect the choice that they have made. Paul in Corinthians makes a statement and he says, not to outsiders, but to Christians, he says that they should not participate in this time of communion if they're going to violate its purpose, if they're going to eat and drink in an unworthy manner. And we don't know what that means, but there were times that we think that there's this high expectation and if we don't meet it, then we're not welcomed at the table and nothing could be further from the truth. The problem with the Corinthian church was that there was so much pride, so much arrogance in that church that they were coming and they were showing off how much they had. The, the communion feast had turned into a supper meal and so you were to bring foodstuffs and, and, and we would sit around the table and eat and then at the proper time we would break bread and we would drink the cup. In the Corinthian church, the rich came with an embarrassment of riches, and they sat at their table, and they ate like gluttons, while the poor stood around the outside of the room, unable to bring anything with them because they had nothing, and just watched and waited till that part of the service was over. There was no sharing. There was no giving for of, of what I have to whoever is needed. Their brothers and sisters went hungry. They, they'd missed the memo that was exemplified by Jesus that whoever is in need is brought to the table of abundance and is made part of everything that the host has to share. In this house, we are no different than at the first Lord's Supper. Please listen to this. Anyone, everyone, who has need, who is hungry, who is needing relationship with Jesus is welcomed here no matter what your spiritual status. If the table was open to Judas, who am I to push you away from the bread of life that has, was broken for you and, and, and is the only hope for your situation and the blood that was shed sacrificially for your deepest needs? Who am I? Pastor Eric preached last Sunday morning about from John where Jesus stands up and says in a loud voice so that everyone could hear, anybody could hear, come everyone who is thirsty. 
This table is a table of hope, and it's open to anyone and to everyone who is looking for the hope it offers. There are no restrictions. Christians are reminded to be careful of motive and and have a level of sensitivity toward the sacrifice that is made because coming in an unworthy matter causes spiritual and physical difficulties. Hardness of heart has caused many to be sick, to be weak, and some even to die. But everyone who is thirsty, anyone who is searching, is welcome to the table of hope. Does that make sense? Aren't you glad that you're welcome no matter where you are on the spectrum? You're welcome to the table of hope. Verse 24 makes a statement that's that's hard to believe. In in the beauty of this moment, they they started, the the 12, they started to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus is only hours away from, from arrest, from trial, from torturing, punishment, and, and death by, persecu- or by crucifixion. But the, the disciples are unaware. They're unconcerned about what is ahead for him. They are concerned where they will stand in the line of greatest to least. I deserve to be at his right hand because I've been here longer. I've, I am more important than you. I've served better. I, I've been more devoted. And Jesus has to stop the arguing and, and bring understanding. He says, listen, th- th- this discussion isn't even in place here. It doesn't belong here. You see, it's the world's way of thinking It's a fight out there to see who's the biggest, who's the richest, who's the strongest, so that they can stand on people that they see as lesser than themselves and and order them around. Even, Even the kings and great men do it, and yet they say with great pride that they are friends of the people. But I say that's not the way of the kingdom. That's not how my kingdom runs. You will act differently. The the lowest servant, the one who serves in the most lowly position will be the greatest among you. If, If you are going to be a leader, then learn to serve need and those who are in need. Who is the most important? It's the one, is it the one who sits at the table or the one who serves at the table? In the world, it's the one who sits at the table. But that's not how it is here, Jesus says. I am the one among you who serves. I, I, at the very beginning of this time together, got out and washed your feet. That's how it is in the kingdom. At the table you reminded, at the table you were reminded of your place and of your mission. We come to be reminded that we're not proud and loud. We're servants, servants to all. We come to the table, as my kids say, for a checkup from the neck up, to have our attitude adjusted. Relationship is vital and can only be fostered by a welcoming heart and a willingness to understand our, our place as servants. This message has been on my heart for such a long time. I've waited, I've prayed, I've studied and thought and discussed and fought through a difficulty that I I see people having with communion. Beautiful people, beautiful hearts that have come under so much condemnation from so many places that that they don't see themselves as worthy of coming to to a table that's stacked with everything that they need and more. Every good and perfect gift from the Father of Lights. 
people who believe that because they've suffered a divorce, they're not eligible for the table and as a result for the friendship of God. People who've had a moral failing at some point in their history and to this day, despite the teaching of Scripture that old things are passed away and behold, you are a new creation, fail to see their place is at this table. Whatever accusation is brought against them, they believe they are unworthy, they are ineligible, and they are less than those who deserve to be here. If you're one of those people who feels ineligible today, listen to the words of Jesus who knew what was in every person's heart, knew what would happen in the hours that were ahead. Listen to what Jesus says as the music team comes and prepares for communion now. Looking at the people in the rented room, he says, You have stayed with me in my time of trial. That's an unusual thing to say. You've stayed with me in my time of trial. We know that in just a few moments, they will run away looking to save their own skin. That, that not one of the men stayed with him in his time of trial. But he's talking about a future where they will be dedicated servants who do not cost, count the cost of service, but will go where they are asked to go and they will do what they're asked to do and they will do it and not think that it's a great sacrifice at all if they need to lay down their life as a sacrifice. Remember Simon Peter, flaky and impulsive, distracted Simon. And Jesus says, that is who you are now, but I see, I understand who you are in the future, and I believe in you, and so I will talk to you, I will treat you as though you are now what I see to be in the future. Peter the Rock, the one with steadfast, stable confession, you are the Son of God, the Most High. I often say to people that Perhaps you've heard me say it to you. I, I wish you could see you as I see you. But I wish that you could also see you the way that God sees you. It is a perspective that makes all the difference in the world as to understanding your worth, your value, your place. So Jesus speaks to men who have failed and will fail again in just a short period of time from the release of these words. Proverbs says that a righteous person, though they fall six times, will sure, surely get up off the ground seven times and keep going. Jesus doesn't get disgusted with the fall, but he looks forward to the getting up again and carrying on with the call and the mission that he's entrusted to you. He speaks to these men who are works in progress. Just as my Father has granted me the kingdom to reign over, I now grant to you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. You're invited. It doesn't matter who you are. You're invited. This, this table is for you. We, we often think of the kingdom as, as being far off heaven kind of destination but Jesus taught us to pray saying kingdom of God come to earth now will of God be done here in my world as it is being done today in heaven 
He's inviting you as you are with your faults, your foibles, your sin and addiction, your history, your penchant to fail. He invites you to the table of health where sin is dealt with and bondage is broken and you're released to do and to be who God designed you to be. You're invited. You're invited. I I grant to you the right to eat, to drink at my table. Jesus says to you today, that means you, no exceptions. You are invited. You are welcome to the hospitality of the King of Heaven who has plans and a future mapped out for you, a future that will take you to a place of ruling and reigning forever and ever with Him. I love this table a table of warm welcome, of unbelievable treasure and richness, a table of hope and help, a table of correction and discipline, of relationship and community, of healing, of promise and of insight. It's a table where you're safe to say whatever you need to say, to do whatever needs to be done. You were cared for, you were invited, you were welcomed. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? And so this morning, in just a few moments, I'm going to call...